Welcome to the Real Triathlon Podcast. I'm your host, Garrick Lowen, here with Nicholas Chase and Jackson Laundry. All right, welcome back to the Real Triathlon Podcast. We have a great episode today. We've got Cody and Cody Beals and Nicholas Chase, who both had tough days, Ironman Tulsa, for various reasons, uh, some out of their control, and they are going to debrief on that. You're going to get the full lowdown on that, and I'm sure they're going to go into some stuff. We have not listened to the recording yet, so can't really give you a great intro, but Jack and I are on here for the intro for what we all know you guys really came here for, and that's for Jack's and I's opinion on the world of triathlon. So let's start with big news from the weekend. We're going to start with Ironman Tulsa, North American champs. Patrick Langa took the win. Daniela Reef took the win. Jack, did you watch it? What's your take on that? Go. Uh, did I watch it? No. What's my take on it? Um, I mean, Daniela back, dominating pretty hard. Not as much as she used to. I mean, we would have expected to see her potentially win that by 10, 15 minutes a few years ago. And she won by something like five minutes, which is still pretty, pretty significant. However, uh, I think that's more a testament to the, the competition just being elevated on the women's side. I mean, we've got Sky in there. Um, she ended up third, actually, I believe. But she raced really well. And there's just a ton of the women who are pushing, pushing the boundaries a lot more these last couple of years, which is great to see. Uh, they're actually kind of closing in on Daniela towards the last, you know, 10, 15 K of that race. And, you know, obviously they didn't catch her because Daniela was way ahead and, and ran well. So good to see Daniela back though, and kind of crushing it again. And I guess a little bit revamped, maybe new motivations. Um, Looks like, oh, right. Uh, Kat Matthews was second. She had an yeah. awesome 249 run. That's spectacular. So she really clawed back some time, but it's tough to compete when Daniela's biking uh, 439. Um, how is that going to, you know, it's tough well, to beat that. And, and Kat had a five minute penalty that she served in T2. Um, and she lost by 501. Wow. And Daniela was hurting at the end of that race. So if there's one big takeaway that I took from the women's race, it's that Daniela looked beatable. I know she had a horrible day 2019 in um, Kona for health reasons, but she looked beatable today. And that's the first time aside for Kona that I think she looked human to me. So, yeah. And I mean, she's yeah. still racing uh extremely well so it's it's going to be very interesting to see what happens in kona and uh beyond but 840 for daniela that's pretty stellar for sure um and it's may exactly and you know she's peaking for kona yeah um, i yeah like iron man texas the one year she almost got beat um and then she you know was herself so yeah exactly <laughs> i still think she's gonna win kona but I think it's going to be tough though. I think there's going to be a lot of those kind of women that are in that chase group that are just pushing it a little bit more and she doesn't quite have the same lead as she typically would. And it's going to be close. Um, on the men's side, we had kind of a return of Patrick Langa. He, he swam with that freaking lead group in that 47 minute pack and he hung in there the whole bike. And like, that's not an easy bike ride. Um, no question about it. And obviously when he gets off the bike with the leaders, you're going to expect him to win in an Ironman. And he ran a 236.46 to take the win. Um, super impressive as well was Daniel Backegaard for third, Jan von Berkel in second. Uh, those guys had a pretty good battle, it looks like. Um, I think they went back and forth a couple times on the run there. Um, and then Dan... Dennis Chavreau actually outran Patrick Langa, but he was coming from behind, so he ended up in fourth. But, yeah, Langa's back. I mean, that's probably his first really good result since since probably Kona. And was that 2018, the last time he won it, wasn't it? 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, this was kind of a new look Patrick Lang at, you know, guys coming out and he's competing in May. Usually he comes out and he just, in May, he's kind of just building and he really peaks very well for Kona. And he's kind of just that average top pro in, in the top five and stuff, especially in a really competitive field. But I, there was something about him today or this weekend. It seemed like he showed up and he, he really had intent to compete. Uh, and it wasn't so much process. It was very much result based today. And he showed it like it, the conditions out there were awful. It was pouring rain. It was cold at the start. And then for the run, it got really humid and warm. And yeah, Patrick kind of just, he stayed in that group and come runtime, he, he just laid it down and nobody could go with him. But one thing that is, was crazy, man, three guys under 240. I, uh, I believe there's probably more if I scroll through the results uh, down, maybe Butterfield. I think Butterfield went, was right around 240 as well. Yeah, okay, 240, 48. But that's crazy. And we have eight guys under eight. Jeez. Yeah, I mean, it's just going nuts at the and look at that Andy Potts eighth place. Like that guy's that guy's like never slowing down. It's insane. I think he got his Kona spot too. Oh my god, that's crazy. But yeah, I mean, the level of competition at the Ironman is getting very high. So um, it makes it pretty scary as someone who hasn't done one yet. It's like I could go and have a good day and be like twentieth. <laughs> uh, so. But super, you know, super impressive. One, some notable, like, not so great days. Sam Long, obviously, he kind of biked his way up through the field and, and came out a little bit flat on the run. Ended up in 13th. Uh, Chris Lieferman, something happened to him on the bike. I think he got Get a penalty. penalty, yeah. So there was a whole group. There was one group, that chase pack, the chase pack that Nick was in. There are like three or four of those guys just all got penalties. I feel like the official just took the little moped by and just flashed everybody a card. Yeah. And there's like, there's a shot where they all pulled into the penalty tent, like halfway yeah. through the ride or something. So it's good to see them policing that. Sometimes it's hard with the rolling terrain. It, it can get very like an accordion effect. Sometimes you can bunch up. Uh, and I know most of those guys, I probably didn't, didn't try to, to draft. Um, probably not. <laughs> But yeah, so that was that. I'm sure most people followed that some way. Iron Man, they had Iron Man now. That was awesome. I had a long ride that day, so I pretty much watched the whole thing. And there was some great coverage. They hired uh, Talbot to do this three-part YouTube series, which was awesome. It's something that you just don't see from Iron Man. So I really think they, they kind of got the memo and they're starting to pick up their game. Nice. That's good. Yeah, because I think what was pretty evident was that their coverage of St. George wasn't at the level that the challenge coverage has been challenge PTO coverage um, for Miami and Daytona. So I think they see that they've got to kind of match that or try to. Um, so that's good. Hopefully they kind of do that for the rest of, you know, the races that they cover this year, but yeah. Um, also of note, it poured rain the whole bike or a lot of the bike and the road quality was bad. So it was just pretty miserable conditions, uh, which I'm sure Nick and Cody are going to go into. So that's, that's always tough. And it's always tough as a pro racing when the condition, when the road conditions are very bad and there's a high chance for a flat, especially with a full Ironman, like you can put so much into those races and you're kind of, you know, at the mercy of luck uh, to a certain extent. Yeah. That, full distance especially as a pro when you line up like you're taking a big risk because the recovery from a full is immense like it takes time to recover from a full so if anything goes wrong you know like you're out money a lot of money and you kind of have to to weigh that with the options and i think nick kind of went into that in the race he he had some back problems and stuff and then cody for sure with his couple flats they're going to touch upon that again i haven't listened to the audio but uh we have some other news in the world of non-ironman and long course and this is coming from a canadian but triathlon canada made a decision 
this weekend that I thought was a poor decision. And they field they fielded a a young and developing group of athletes for the Olympic qualifiers for the mixed team relays. So for those who don't follow uh, ITU or it's called World Triathlon now, essentially they had this race. It's a World Cup mixed team relays. The team, you have to podium there and you guaranteed yourself a slot at the Olympics. All the teams that had already qualified were not racing. Triathlon Canada had not qualified team yet. They have one female qualified for the Olympics and two men. You need two women, two men to make it. Had they podium, like I said, guaranteed win. You're guaranteed the podium. And instead of fielding their top athletes who were there, they did not. They fielded a development team, which is fine. Like these, these are the next guys coming up, next guys and girls. Like they are strong. I know Sobi is is good. He finished 32nd at that World Cup, and he's very young. Um, Aiden Longcroft Harris. I, I was able to, I've raced with him. Very strong guy. He's definitely up and coming. He has a chance to be that next Miss Lachuk. And Gab Legault, she was the girl racing, the other girl racing. She's very young. Uh, she will have a spot on that relay team next, come next Olympics, probably. And then the only experienced athlete in there that I thought should have been there is Domi. Um, Dominika Jamnicki. She is one of the top three female pros in uh, for ITU, I believe, in Canada. Jack, you correct me on that. I, I believe she was third, yeah. Yeah, so... Even if not, she's she's had a lot of really good results and is very good at the short distance, so that was a, a good, yeah. good choice. So what ended up happening, though, so Dami got tagged in lap. She was the third athlete. They ended up getting lapped out, not because of Dami's fault, not because of anybody's fault. There's just a very high level of performance at this race because teams were gunning for that top three spots. Canada got lapped out. That was frustrating. I think that was frustrating from a lot of people who follow this because sometimes it just seems like we're banging our heads against the wall when it comes to development with athletes. They have shut down the um, for the juniors, there used to be a national series, and like that was the series that built athletes that built Tyler Mislachuk, you know, that Simon Whitfield, Paul Tischler like that was the series. That's where all these guys came from. That's basically the reason that Canada has such a strong triathlon, like I don't know, presence for such a small country, for a country of only what 30 million people. And we can compete with the Americans. We can compete with the Europeans because we had this series that was super competitive that we should develop our athletes. And they cut that out because they're trying to develop these super fast athletes to get a medal at the mixed team relays. Well, they restructured the last five years. They restructured their whole development program for this mixed team relays. And then they have a chance to make it. And instead of picking the team that finished fifth at the world championships last year, among all these teams that are already qualified in the world, we send this team. And that just pissed me off so much because this means so much to so many people. And every triathlete is so proud of what we've accomplished as a nation in the Olympics in short course racing, you know, like with Simon Whitfield, all of that. Now with Tyler Mislachuk, who's our next big hopeful, he won uh, the test event in Rio I think we have this mixed team relay that has podium or sorry in to Tokyo. We have this mixed team relay who has podium at world championships before, and you don't field that team to guarantee your qualification. Now poor Emily Kratz has got to get herself. She has to race four times in the next five weeks to try and get herself in a world ranking position that can get, uh, that can send us two females to the game. Now the games now, and and then hope she gets picked <laughs> and then hope she gets picked and like that's a lot of pressure you can't miss and we see it all the time she just finished sixth at that race in the individual yeah she so pulled just, it out just so people know who who else was there you know that are developed athletes athletes who are ready to compete 
um, for the mixed team relay. So Joanna Brown, unfortunately, she had a broken nose. So she was out. But Amelie Kretz, for sure. She finished sixth at this World Cup. Um, Dami, for sure. And then on the men's side, we had Tyler Mislachuk, who was there. He unfortunately flatted in the World Cup race. But it's not a big deal. He already qualified for a spot. But he could have raced that mixed team relay. And we had Alexi Lepage and Matt Sharp, who also could have raced for the men. And they are all ranked in the top 130, I believe, in the world. All, they all were very experienced. All men. very experienced guys in the mixed team relays. Great swimmers, great runners, strong cyclists. I believe Matt Sharp's a very strong cyclist. Oh, yeah. He's kind of, you know, the domestique for Tyler Misichuk. And that's our big plan for the Olympics. And, you know, he's the guy who's going to yeah. get him in there and protect him and help him to save a little bit for the run. But I, yeah, I couldn't agree more, really. Like, development has always perplexed me a little bit in that it seems that this is common in triathlon or any sport that nation like governing bodies will choose to have their top athletes forego current opportunities to perform and to to get accomplishments in order to get future athletes those opportunities to develop but the opportunity to develop is only valuable if you get the chance to perform when it counts. And then when those chances are there, they're not sending those athletes that they've developed in the past. So it's like this weird cycle of like, forget about who's there now and just worry about the future. But when the few, when you've got the freaking Tyler Misschuk, a top 10 ranked in the world, if I'm not mistaken, you send him to that freaking team and you qualify for the Olympics. Like, so hopefully they can still qualify. I believe there's still a chance. Um, Very slim chance. What do they have to do? Win the next event or something? Yeah. Emily Kretz needs to basically finish in the top 10 of the next. I think she has one WTCS race and then two World Cups. And she has to, to get up there. Yeah. Like so it's, all it's, on her. it's all on her and it's going to be tough. And it's where, extremely difficult to perform week after week, especially in draft legal racing when there's so many things that can happen and it's easy to have a little crash or a flat or anything just tactically to go wrong in the race. So yeah, let's cheer for her big time. It's great to see that she's racing well again. And she kind of had a couple of years where she was feeling like she wasn't at her, had her best game, but we saw last year at our race at the Canadian pro champs that she was kind of back and running well. And now she's really crushing it. So it's good to see that, but yeah, let's hope that they can bring it around and um, qualify because yeah, yeah that'd be and sad. Then next Olympic cycle. If you field the team that they fielded today, the exact same team, they will qualify. I, I no doubt in my mind, those athletes will be ready to perform at that time. Oh, for but, sure. But we have a team now that could have made it. Yeah, definitely could have made it. It's uh, and the thing about mixed team relay is, I I've only watched a handful of these races, but it almost always plays out that people end up riding by themselves more than they do in the full event and like the full individual race, just because it's shorter. You don't have the time to get in those groups, so you need to be very strong on the bike at time trialing on a road bike, and when you're a twenty year old athlete a lot of the time your bike strength just haven't has not developed yet, especially in more of a time trial type setting. And you're just not going to be able to push that power that you need to ride fast on your own. And that's kind of what we see when you develop, when you feel the development team, if they swim very well and they're right in the group right away, that's fantastic. But if they need to ride on their own, sometimes they just need a few more years of experience to be able to do that. Well, which they will, like you said, they're going to be crushing it next time. And let's hope that when they're the best athletes, they're the ones who get the chance to do it exactly and i don't want to throw any shade on those guys because they just got thrown in a situation that they weren't quite ready for so it's not so much on them and they're freaking amazing athletes like let's not make any jokes like they would any of those guys would crush us in a draft legal race by minutes <laughs> so that's the reality they're phenomenal and yeah like you said they're gonna they're just gonna keep getting better yeah all right, let's move on to Patreon questions. So we got some questions from our patrons. Uh, like we said, once a month, we will go through. 
answer these questions for you guys on the podcast. So we're starting off with a question from Chris and it is once you're cleared to work out after surgery, how long should you wait before adding intensity back into workouts? Question. Well, I'm going to assume that this is more for me just because I've done this. Um, yeah. So like, it's almost like coming off any injury. I would say you definitely, the time that you add the intensity back in isn't as important as, as how you do it. So once you're cleared for workouts, obviously you want at least a week or two of just easy, just kind of moving the body, just getting those, uh, you know, the run legs and the bike legs and the swim back. And then once you've done that and you're confident, you're not getting injured from that, then you can add a little bit of intensity. And I, like I said, you don't want to focus as much on when it is as you do on how. So don't add like VO2 max hard reps right away. Like that's just a bad idea. So you definitely want to start with something small, like a steady effort or a tempo effort for a short period of time. So I don't know, the first workout for a swim might be like, five by a hundred at a steady effort instead of just your easy to moderate effort. And then you're just increasing it a little bit. So that's your first step is increasing it a little bit, not for too long. And then if that's fine, then the next workout, you can add a little bit longer Then the next workout, you maybe go up to a tempo effort. And then, you know, a couple weeks later, maybe you're getting back up to your threshold work. Um, but definitely just kind of stepping it up piece by piece and it'll take several weeks or months to work it all the way back up to the same kind of intensity that you were pre-surgery or pre-injury. Um, I think that's pretty true for all the sports, especially the run. Like definitely if it's something that it was a run injury, you want to do it pretty slowly and uh, not, not be in a hurry because that's how you get a setback. That is just going to be frustrating. Good answer. Good answer. I think you're definitely in a good position to answer that question. Next question. Is it useful information to weigh yourself before your workout and after your workout? I started doing this a month ago and I'm coming in after my workouts four to five pounds lighter after a two to three hour training effort. I am taking nutrition and water and I feel good and put up good number, good workout numbers. And I am not cramping when I take even more liquid than I have to, then I, then I have to stop for bathroom breaks every hour. I feel like I'm sure if I, I feel like I'm, sh I'm unsure if I should worry about losing too much fluids. I'm already a pretty skinny guy, six foot and 166 pounds, then post-workout 162. Thoughts? Well, I would say four to five pounds at uh, 166 pounds is kind of in that sweet spot range where you don't really need to worry about it too much. I would say that's kind of a healthy amount of weight to lose for like over a three hour period depending on if it's hot or whatnot. I mean, we talked about this earlier, uh, Jack and I are kind of on the same page here. I think you could look into increasing your sodium intake if you wanted to, because uh, water follows salt. So if you want to hold on to a bit more water, then that's okay. I mean, you're not cramping, you're hitting good numbers. I really wouldn't stress about it too much. Yeah, I agree. I think. Yep. Adding. And when Garrick says water follows salt, what that means is if you're taking a little bit more salt. You're going to absorb that salt and then you'll therefore absorb more water um, that you're drinking. So you might, instead of drinking a lot of water, you might choose a sport drink instead that has the right amount of sodium in it. And that's made for exercise if you're not doing that already. And that might help you to hold on to another one or two pounds. And for a two to three hour effort, if you're training well, that's fine. That's great. Um, but if you're going to be increasing or doing some longer races, then it might be a good idea to try to, um, get that absorption just a little bit higher, more efficient. If you were going to be doing an Ironman, for example, then four to five pounds in, let's say five pounds in three hours comes 15 pounds in nine hours. That's probably too much. So, um, definitely, uh, good for now, but there's always a little room for improvement and try to absorb a little bit better, but. And then having to pee you during training, you do tend to stop to pee more often. Um, if you're doing an Ironman though, you can just pee while you're on the bike or, or the swim or the, or the swim. Yeah. Uh, or the run even. Mm. <laughs> um, but the run, sometimes you have to stop. I know I can't pee while running, but I can pee while biking. 
So, yeah, it's uh, next question. I've never been a good downhill runner. Yes, I'm tons faster, but it destroys my legs in the process. Besides just getting more training time running downhill, what is the proper technique or strategy to running downhill? Jack, you want to start this? Yeah, we'll, we'll try to get this one. So this one's a little bit tougher to answer because obviously there could be a number of reasons why it might be hard on your legs running downhill, but uh, we'd have to kind of see some video footage really to, to get a little bit of a better idea. Um, but largely, obviously, when you're running downhill, you're, you're basically having to produce more force to prevent yourself from kind of falling over. So one thing that um, downhill running is great for is working on your turnover. So getting that cadence up, increasing, obviously, as you increase your, your speed, but what you want to try to avoid is doing too much of a longer stride. Obviously, your stride is going to be a little bit longer than when you're running on flat. But I would say if you're getting a lot of soreness um, from running downhill, you might be overstriding a little bit and just try to increase that cadence and, and really don't reach too far forward at the front of that stride. Um, and that's going to hopefully help alleviate some of the stress and some of that pounding force that you're getting on the downhill. Um, and try yeah. running downhill on like a little bit of a less steep grade if you want to practice it a little bit more, and then it should help to do it on a steeper grade. I myself am not a fantastic downhill runner either, though. So when it comes to the really steep ones, Garrick, what do you try to think about when you're running downhill? Yeah, just really quick turnover is kind of the thing. I think it's inevitable that you're going to overstride a little bit when you're running downhill. You, you do tend to have a little bit of a, uh, I guess your initial contact does tend to be farther back on your heel, no matter what you're going to do. Uh, but I try to not, you naturally want to lean back and help your, and help stop yourself from falling it feels like and then sometimes people have the head tilt too at the same time i would just really try to prevent that and i would let yourself like let yourself go you know yeah i i guess we could go back to the throwback story in high school cross country we had our county championships and i got dropped on the downhill for uh we were fighting for third place between third and fourth place this one course, I got dropped on the downhill and ended up finishing fourth. Well, then two weeks later, we had regional championships. And my coach was like, you just got to hang on. Just just roll your feet over or just turn your feet over as fast as you can going down there. You just got to hang on because you'll, you'll close out this race fine. Ended up doing that. And the guy tried to drop me in the same spot. Didn't work. Ended up finishing third. So that's the advice that I've kind of always taken is just let yourself go and get your feet over as fast as you can, because that's going to stop you from breaking. Yeah. I've, uh, I heard a story about, um, oh man, why is his name escaping me? Legendary, um, American triathlete. He retired Greg Bennett and he Bennett. won the, like the, uh, four race series that was like an, a million dollar prize or something like that years ago or a lifetime yeah. fitness. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it was like the race director or one, one of the people involved in that race on the last race. He, I think it was the last race. He was like way behind whoever was leading off the bike. He had to make up like four minutes or something in a 10 K and there was a steep downhill with a few K to go. And it, and he said that it, he saw Greg running down this hill and it looked like he was just completely out of control running with reckless abandon and just going for it because he knew if he, if he won that race, he had a chance for the million. So he, uh, he just was flying down that hill. And like, I think people feel like they're going to fall. And this is probably myself too. And I do lean back a little bit, but you will not fall. You, your body will kind of, I mean, I shouldn't say that because if it's a very steep hill, you might want to slow yourself down, but yeah. You can keep your balance a lot better than you probably think. Yeah. So that's it for for us this week. I guess we're going to roll into Cody and Nick, unless you had anything else, Jack. No, that's about it. Thank you to our patrons who recently uh, joined. I think we had like five or six this week, which is awesome. Um, you guys rock. There's still the Speed Hound recovery boots up that will be being given out in the next week now. So last chance to join that patron and, and get that speed hound recovery system, super valuable recovery tool. Uh, I just got my set and they're freaking awesome. So 
check that out. And if you don't win them, don't worry. You can still buy them off your team store. And uh, we're going to give everybody a little bit of a discount. So thanks for the support. Here's Nick and Cody on their races at Ironman Tulsa. All right. I'm here with my fellow housemate of a few days and good pal, Cody Beals. We're going to talk to you today about our experience at Ironman Tulsa, which just happened yesterday. Cody, how you doing? Oh, just got that disappointing race hangover, Nick, and no drinking was involved. <laughs> <laughs> no, no drinking, just uh, a bit of, a bit of work. Um, I'd say overall, like on the whole, the experience here in Tulsa was good. Although a couple of things, we didn't really see the sun for the whole time. It's been overcast and gloomy. Um, what do you think? Oh, Nick, you're quite an optimist. The people were pretty cool. I'll say that just, just insanely friendly folks. But, <laughs> but we both had pretty rough days. So let's talk about those. Yeah. I think uh, before we get to the specifics of the day, like we ended up, landing an incredible airbnb very quiet very well taken care of i think we had a good pre like race five going into this like we didn't have to like even though this was a separate t1 t2 and it seemed logistically like it was going to be a nightmare it was really well done transition getting to and from parking no big major issues the only thing that with parking is athletes just kind of ruin it for everyone and <laughs> ask one volunteer 30 questions um, and hold up yeah, logistics were good, and you seemed super laid back. You were just ripping trailer park boys all day <laughs> on the couch. I was uh, I was pretty tightly wound up before this one, not sleeping very well, and that's not necessarily that out there for me. I think that isn't that isn't the opposite of a good setup for a race. It can be focused and intense. You just got to channel that energy in a productive way. Yeah, I was tiptoeing around in eggshells every morning when I'd get up to be like, "Man, Cody said he's going to try to sleep till like three p.m. today, so I'm going to try to because." You had you were trying to make up on some sleep that you lost due to nerves, travel, the transition from Utah to here. Um, we did lose an hour and a time change, so there's some factors there. But also, you know, you just don't sleep well sometimes, and I didn't want to be a negative impact on that. <laughs> it's okay. I just cranked my white noise machine, sleep mask, earplugs. I did a little sensory deprivation. I did hear that white noise machine from my bedroom. It was good. I got I got to experience it. I just had it screaming the whole time. <laughs> So all things aside, we had good vibes, good energy. Cody managed to bank at least six hours of total sleep over three days, probably. <laughs> <laughs> we found a good pool. Um, we rode inside. Airbnb came with a cool trainer. So we didn't have to really worry about riding in the rain a lot, which it looked like everyone else was doing. Um, and then the day before the race, I believe we were sitting on a couch and Cody looks at me and he's, He's got his phone in front of me. He said, oh, well, the weather's looking great tomorrow. No, no rain, I don't think. No wind. And I'm like, man, sounds like we're going to have the perfect day, Cody. And then um, I'm pretty sure it pissed on us for about 90% of the whole day, especially on the bike. Yeah, I broke my rule of not looking at weather forecasts for races because especially with rain in a place like this, they, <laughs> they just don't know what's up. There were just heavy, pregnant clouds hanging in the sky the whole week. And it decided to open up oh. as we were heading down to the swim start pretty much yeah i remember um, driving when we pre-drove the course i'm like this is a pretty sketchy course as far as ironmans go at least we won't have to do it in the rain <laughs> oh yeah we're gonna get to talking about your love of this bike course pretty quick <laughs> um so yeah race logistics getting there setting up tulsa did a good job ironman did a good job um felt very welcome um i would say we did have to get to transition and take our first bus like the earliest i've ever been out actually i don't know ironman austria starts like before 7 a.m like 6 32 so pretty early morning there but definitely a 3 a.m wake up call uh, breakfast getting out the door by four um and then that was a bit of a stress getting on the old pro bus maybe made it by like three minutes worked out i mean i, I think i timed it pretty well but could have been a little earlier i guess yeah that was a real mood just being on that bus in the rain and four in the morning yep <laughs> knowing getting off to war knowing everything's gonna get much <laughs> much worse um so <laughs> Go ahead. I got to transition and just immediately started pumping up my tires, blew a tube, yep. defective tube. So and then I'm running around doing that. So I was grateful for the extra time we allowed. Yeah, I think it was good. Um, so this was a, a separate start, even at T1 from where like, you know, our bikes were. So we walked 
a, roughly a mile to the swim start in the morning. Um, after so start T1, T2, and finish, we're all in different locations <laughs> of this race. Yeah, that's right. Good point. Everything yeah. separate, um, at least by quarter mile or more. Yeah. So walking down was good. It was like a, I noticed about that walk. Um, it was a very passive aggressive who can get to the porta potties the fastest at the swim start. Like Sam even was like about a quarter mile ahead of us. He was quick stepping so fast. Um, and then I know everyone, I think even Joe Skipper was like, can we use those porta potties? And then I think seven or eight of us stopped um, for a last minute relief. Did you have to relief? I did, Nick. You did. Okay, so we showed up <laughs> empty. Uh, so yeah, swim start. Great water temperatures were perfect for a wetsuit. I think it was probably high 60s. Um, so not really, really comfy. Yeah, at any point you weren't too warm, but I think this was kind of un uncharacteristic for this environment. Normally it's probably another 10 degrees warmer everywhere, air temperature and water temperatures at least, and like 75 predicted. So that was good. Um, swim start was kind of no drama. We all had a really, really wide start line, I would say that everyone creeped past by about 15 meters by the time we started i want to do a rant video on that i've been attending one of those for a while anytime there's an open water swim start let me get up on my soapbox yeah get on it let's hear anytime there's a deep water swim start the men's field in particular and also the women's field to a lesser extent usually just creeps forward because they'll say okay two minutes 90 seconds 60 seconds i think it's a mistake to count you down like that people just gradually move forward well past the line you might say oh like a meter two body length that's trivial over an eight hour day but we all know like that opening surge is so decisive in establishing the pack dynamics that really, mm -hmm. you know, filter through the rest of the race. So huge, huge annoyance because you have a division between guys who are honest about it and guys who just so simply are cutting the course and cheating. And I wish it was called out like that. Iron Man has said during most pro briefings, we're going to be filming the swim start, but they're yet to come out with any definitive ramifications if anyone was to jump. Um, and at the same time, like, I know myself, Cody, and Chris Leiferman, we were like lined up shoulder to shoulder and we're looking left and right and there's still a minute left and we're already about three or four meters past the start and we're kind of like prone position, sort of, you know, sculling or keeping our legs up and it just keeps creeping. I bet we had about 10 meters on that start before we actually went and it was not a straight line at all. And there were guys either side of us far further ahead. Yeah. So really frustrating it's like well if you can't beat them join them or do you try and be completely honest about it like the whole field is past the line so um i think i think iron man needs to adopt an itu approach move to dive starts beach starts with boxes that you draw randomly for um just to elevate the professionalism of it a lot because it's uh it's a bad look for the professionals forward yeah the start sequence is notoriously terrible and i've seen it in some races in foreign countries when we do start when people will go three seconds early and then after the race we're trying to call them out and there's no there's no, no video yeah there. yep all right let's move on from that rant yes <laughs> good good rant though well well said um so yeah i'd say our group was about four minutes back by the end of it maybe yeah about four minutes i think lead group went 46 we were 49 minutes really um I feel less good about that swim now yeah i mean it wasn't our group was not moving along super fast like a couple of times i tried to move around and go to the front it was just a little too hard and i was thinking i've got nowhere to bridge i'm not going to lead this thing i might as well just sit in i remember feeling good about it though seeing i think we had we had patrick nelson just up ahead maybe near the front of it yeah leiferman um, there yep a few other good contenders in there and then there's about 15 of us the likes of sam long and joe skipper coming up behind to pick up any stragglers yeah so um in the third pack so yeah it was uh especially i mean i've been out of the water for the last five months or so like completely out of the water so four weeks ago i could barely swim yeah, you catch up quick so though. To, to claw back from that i've learned this is the third time i've had a long break like that during the pandemic i can predictably claw back two seconds a week if i'm punching it pretty hard in the pool but it still is a bit of a roller coaster i think i think you did well though i mean if nothing else it was pretty much guaranteed that most of our most of the front 20 cyclists in the race we're going to come together at some point yeah um and i do still think like that lead group with that four minute they stayed away the whole time they were never caught um and i think that's partly to do to the weather conditions we had which from the start of the bike raining the whole time visors were pretty much 
an inhibiting factor. I saw a lot of guys just go no visor. They just tossed them. I think you tossed yours. I took two steps out of my transition rack and then ripped my visor off and tossed it back. It's from experience, I just know when it's that humid and rainy, um, you're better off getting your eyes sandblasted than trying to see the visor. Yeah, and I was on the other end of the spectrum. I kept my like gold plated, amazing looking fighter pilot mask on that was very terrible until it dried out in the last hour especially if, if you had perfect roads you can you can deal with the trade-off of visibility but these roads were far from perfect i would say um probably the worst i've seen in an ironman course with a few exceptions some really good ones occasionally at times but mostly just really abysmal roads with potholes that weren't repaired so that kind of left something to be desired i'm all for a good you know rough chip seal course but this was a course that was guaranteed to end a few athletes days with flat tires yeah and you were there i mean um, within, we were all together in the first, first group there. We got up, got out within 10 miles. I think you experienced a double flat. Yeah. Not even mile nine. I, um, so it was like Mario Kart. I was at the back of the pack <laughs> in a comfy position there. Just, just, you know, cruising, uh, after Nick's frame, frantic surge at a transition that is, and, <laughs> yeah. uh, there's like good stuff flying off left, right and center visors, bottles, all kinds of stuff coming at me. So I swerved to avoid a bottle and just, just wailed a pothole immediate double flat lost all the air in both tires and then um yeah spent some time stewing on the side of the road waiting for neutral support which turned out to be really nice guy on a moto with a handful of tubes so um a little disappointing there weren't wheels available at this race given that it's a regional championship i think that would be expected for a professional caliber race i will say though the wheels i have seen at most races are not something you would want to race on they're Fair. they're aluminum they're garbage they're not even bladed spoke um so i would wager overall you're probably better changing yeah you're probably right um, um i guess it's too much to ask steps i set up like kona where you've got a neutral wheel sponsor with multiple good aero wheels fast tires yeah tubes yeah i don't think it'll happen outside of a championship race unfortunately anyway so i lost my lost all the packs at that point basically and made a snap decision to turn it into a swim bike training day and just finish the bike off at a you know, comfortably hard effort basically. And um, yeah, super, super frustrating, obviously poured a lot into this one, ventured a lot on this trip, leaving Canada during the pandemic and everything. Um, but yeah, it was the right call because I'm going to race Kurt Lane in five weeks. And yeah, no matter how you slice it, it's just not really a pragmatic move to even walk jog, let alone run an Ironman for $0. Yeah, $0. And then even the guys. So I, I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit. Like I, put my nose out there and I worked incredibly hard on the bike the whole time to try to I don't know I've had like a really just good boost of stamina and uh I don't know confidence over the last months of really biking well especially after St. George when I was biking with some of the best in our sport um so I knew I could handle it to an extent and I was willing to always work hard for at least the first hour in an Ironman and expect to be able to kind of reel it back and, and just, just go steady training numbers um but that Got a little shaken up. Everything was fine. We we're all riding well. There's probably about 20 of us that packed up um, chasing the five or six guys who got away, which we were not putting any, any time to, by the way. Daniel, uh, Flo, who else was up there? Was it Potts up there? Langa. And Lang yeah, those guys, they stayed away doing it all. Like they, they really deserve credit for that because they out, you know, they out, you know, I guess maneuvered Sam Wong and his drive to get to that front. Um, By the sounds of uh, Sam and Joe's interpretation of the race, that front pack was working together relatively well, and the pack you were in, Nick, was not. Sam and Joe made it sound as if they were doing most of the work, basically. Yeah, I agree that everyone else was just kind of content to sit in for fourth or fifth place, potentially at best. I think if that pack had gotten organized, it should have been not a cakewalk to catch the front pack, but quite doable. Well. I also think that the very, very, very wet roads um, worked really heavily against any Uber biker who would normally be able to break away with that extra two or 3% of less rolling resistance. Sam just couldn't get away uh, wind. And, and I would say we had two or three marshes with us the whole time, even seeing a lot of penalties being that were given out. Um, I, I don't think it was an unfair course. I think that we couldn't see shit. We were all avoiding potholes. Like I was taking my visor on and off the whole time just so I could see in some of the dicier places. Um, but that bike course, in my opinion, had probably 70% of good fair roads. And then that last 30% was 
god awful, terrible. Like downhill bombing, uneven surfaces, random dropouts, um, super slippery. So if we hadn't had the rain, it would have been a different story. I mean, I saw Joe go down right in front of me, but he did. He did. He was charging pretty hard on that corner. He that was a bit much. It was like a straight downhill into this hard left with cones everywhere, and he just went down like it was freaking an ice circus. Poor guy. And he, he biked his way back too. So incredible. Um, yeah. So anyways, what happened was we had a good group. Uh, then Sam caught us, went to the front and then about 55 miles. It was, it was fucking anarchy. I'm not kidding. I was going downhill into the rain across this long bridge, 400 Watts trying to reel back in this strung out group. And after about five or six minutes of that, I just, I couldn't do it anymore. And then I saw like probably five or six other guys got shot out like David Plesha and I can't remember, but another German anyways, we ended up just sticking together and letting those boys ride off into the oblivion. Cause it was just too much. Uh, I think even by the end, le- like the leader had 14 minutes on us when we got into transition and we were still riding. Okay. So I just couldn't believe the sheer amount of awesome biking that was out there from that lead group. The front pack was just an utterly dominant performance all around. Like, I don't know how Patrick Langa still manages to be, I'll even say, an underrated athlete at times. Incredible. You don't win Kona twice by accident is the line I've heard about 12 times since he he won here. Um, Yeah, just remarkably dominant all across the board. Yeah, especially with Daniel and Flo in that group. Like, those guys are no joke on the bike. They're you know, champion swimmers within their own regions. So like incredible or their own countries. Um, so the bottom line is this field was mega. Um, then the Cody didn't run. Um, I did. And then what happened with me right immediately is my sacrum kind of locked up. Like it has never happened before in my life. I couldn't even bend down to scratch my hip or my upper thigh. So I spent about eight minutes trying to wrap my head around what was happening. If I can run, if my hips were going to wake up and then finally after a little bit of, you know, I'm, at this point I'm on the side of the road and everyone's like, come on, you can do it. You can get after it. And I'm like, fuck it. I'm trying just leave me alone. I'm, I'm let me suffer alone. But then I started running, cracking off six thirty miles for the first 15 or 14 miles. And then the hips kind of started failing again, just trying to stride it out. And then at about 27 kilometers, I just couldn't move anymore. Um, could barely walk so i called it and that was my day good old dnf brothers here uh, but i would say to our i don't know to kind of make us not feel such so shitty there was a lot of a lot a lot of dnfs out there from some of some incredible competitors which just goes to show you what really, we were up really against. high attrition rate i would attribute that to to three things it's a first of all in any normal season a championship race is going to make people take risks they're going to yeah either have their race plan be to go for it or throw the race plan out the window 10 seconds onto the bike course so <laughs> not not calling anyone out here <laughs> mr i'm going to surge at 500 watts out of two i did months. not do 500 I'm going to have to go over my Cody's chirping me, but it's not with any merit. I would say another layer to that is that we're coming out of the pandemic when a lot of guys are stressful, are stressed and desperate and have something to prove. That's true. So I think there is an even more, an even higher level of just ferocity and desperation in the racing and people absolutely going for it. And the third factor was the conditions just really, really tough. So probably the highest uh, attrition rate I've seen, especially among like the world-class contenders in that field. Yeah. I went for it and I paid the price like a couple others. Um, it's, I guess I've had a chip on my shoulder to try to make a better name for myself, especially having three good races this year. I wanted to have a good Ironman and I, I took a lot more risks than I think I would have just to go with the, the big boys and, you know, try to feel it again back in 2019 when I had that great race at Chattanooga and I paid the price. So, but for a hot minute, we were there. So for, for a few <laughs> minutes, we were living the good life, buddy. Um, but now we're just going to still hobble around like we did something. And uh, I don't know. You're going to go to another state and train uh, close to Coeur d'Alene? Yeah, I'm heading to Boise to hang out with Jocelyn McCauley and family for a bit and uh, absorb her wisdom, get ready for Coeur d'Alene in five weeks. Yeah, five weeks, Coeur d'Alene. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do. I definitely have Des Moines on my schedule. That's not going anywhere. Cause I need to, I've missed my 7.3 world slot 
twice now by one position. So I'm kind of like driven for the next three opportunities of 7.3s to get that. So best case scenario, if Des Moines works out and I am able to go fast enough there and earn it, I will still probably show up to quarter lane the following weekend and have a just a stable, no frills Ironman and see if I can put something together off of this rest. And, and I'll be living in park city at that point as well for a good two and a half months. So, uh, for, for until end of August. So yeah, hopefully there's a boost there, more racing to come. This is our job. And most people get to go to work every day. We get to do it sporadically and <laughs> hope the stars align and make sure it works out. But honestly, like age group athletes, if you're listening, remember like this is, uh, for us, this is always a risk um, to go so hard in maybe five or six times a year um, when maybe only two or three of them can work out. So we're always taking that risk. And when it comes to coming up short, it's not something that we're necessarily devastated over. We don't feel like we can't handle it or we're less of an athlete. I think if anything, it's, it's an opportunity to take notes, learn and come out better and if you want to be one of the best in the world, you have to always calculate your risks ahead of time. And then sometimes you just got to say, fuck it and go. Um, but just wanted to blanket this whole thing with, we're not pissed off, sad, depressed. It's more of a, more of just like, this is just how it is. Yeah. And to add to that, I would say I have a policy of only pouting for 24 hours maximum after a race. And in fact, that goes for any emotion to fill out your race, even after a big win, you let all the emotion wash over you for maximum 24 hours. And then, back to business because i really think that's two sides of the same coin if you allow yourself to bask in the glow of a good performance for a month after then for me it's pretty much inevitable i'm going to be wallowing in self-pity for the same amount of time after a bad race so um it's all just little blips and you just back to work as soon as possible yeah and i think more than anything we thrive in the environment of our of our lifestyle we just love it like waking up training accomplishing these tasks and then showing up as fresh as you can it's like a chess match that we play with ourselves for months on end and then we finally get to show up and maybe checkmate that race and then you know odds are you're gonna win like one out of ten <laughs> <laughs> but it's 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 a risk we um, are striving to always increase and you know we look at the champions the langas the the, the daniela reefs and even now some of like you know someone like sky who's been super consistent and we all want that. So I think we're willing to sacrifice more and more to keep that vision and hope and dream alive. So Cody, good note to end on. Thanks, Nick. Yeah. We'll see you in Coeur d'Alene. If nothing else, I'll be there to cheer or race and uh, stay injury free, bud. I got ish to do flying through the sky in my parachute dancing on the couch like I'm Tommy Cruise on a one-man mission trying to see it.